Father God, we acknowledge that you are the breath that gives us life, that when we wake up in the morning, it is a gift of grace that you have given to us that we can open our eyes and see the day in front of us. Thank you that you're already in the days. You've already prepared them and you know what's coming up for us and that you give to us your sure promise that you walk with us throughout these days. And it's in these days, Lord, that we come to you and ask for your care and your presence to be around those in need. We think of and we lift up to you little Calvin Quinlan, who is still in Helen DeVos Hospital and still on a respirator. We give you thanks that he has made progress, that another machine has been taken off of him, and that that is a good sign. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring strength and health, wholeness to him, and in the meantime, that you will provide your presence and your care for Shauna, for Kaylin, and their families they care there. We lift up uh, Pastor Mary and pray that you will be with her in a couple of ways, that you would bring healing that she needs from the respiratory virus she has, and that you will also provide uh, healing for her and the melanoma that is on her arm that uh, the doctors are concerned about and are going to be doing uh, surgery on in about eight days. We pray that that will all be successful, that the skin cancer will be um, stayed in one area and that you would use the gift of medicine or maybe as you often do just the gift of your power and your miracle to bring the healing that she needs we pray lord for uh, joe and pam and david that you would continue to provide for them and the needs that they have as they're uh, all living in separate places uh, being taken care of there and that you will provide for their well-being and for their health and for their joy we thank you, Lord, for the way that you provide for our needs. And at the same time on this day, we pray against terror and the rise of terror in our world. We come to you praying, knowing that there is an upcoming battle in the Middle East. And sometimes we just don't know how to pray about things like this, but we do know that you say blessed are the peacemakers and that is what we pray for we pray for the prince of peace to be at work and we pray that you would raise up peacemakers we pray for israel's security we pray for families of thousands who have already been killed in the last eight or nine days we pray for protection for the innocents. Father, we, whether we don't know how to pray, we just lift the situation for you to bring your peace and a resolution that would reduce killing, reduce suffering, reduce pain. And it just reminds us there are other wars that are going on within the world. And there are uh, devastations like the earthquake in Afghanistan. And we pray for people in need who are in such places. 
and that you will continue to raise up your church to be your hands and feet, to provide supplies, to provide care, to provide comfort that you give. So we pray that you would empower your church to be acting instruments in these cases. We pray for our neighbors on Sunbrook today and this week, and that you would give to them extra blessings and that they would know that those blessings come from you. And we also pray this day and this week for our missionary partner, Dor, for their ministry of bringing the good news of Jesus to a unreached people group called the deaf community. We pray that you will bless them, guide them, strengthen them, lead them in this important mission. We thank you for your word that leads us and guides us. And we pray that you will open our hearts, open our minds, that your spirit would remove distractions that might keep us from hearing and listening to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name and everyone agreed and said, Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9, I'll be reading starting at verse 57 through verse 62. The words will be on the screen if you want to follow along or you can follow along on your tablet or a book or phone or just listen as the words are being read. I invite you to join with me by standing either in your heart or physically before God as a way of showing reverence and respect to him and his word as we hear these words from the book that we love. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man, son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. God's very word. Thanks be to God, and you may be seated. I call it fictional history. Pulling together historical facts and conversations and adding to it to help those who watch or listen understand more. There's a video series out there called The Chosen. It's the team's best guess of what life would be like with Jesus. It's not everything we find in the Bible. That's why it's called historical fiction. It brings in historical events, conversations, but it adds to it, to add flavor to what life might have been like back then. So as we watch it on our own, or people make reference to it, 
We understand sometimes we will hear words that are familiar, familiar to us because they come right out of the Bible. And other times, the producers, the directors have added more to try to help understand more of the context. We're going to watch about four minutes of a 10-minute conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. The story of that is found in John chapter 3. Some of the words will be familiar to you. Some will be rather new. But it's the team's desire to try to help us understand what was going on in the conversation between Jesus and this Pharisee called Nicodemus, whose heart has been stirred by Jesus. And so he wants to have a conversation. Because we don't have the rights to show this on our live stream for the next four minutes, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to show it on live stream because we don't have the rights to do that. Our apologies for that. After the four minutes, we will come back. Jesus says what you would gain is far greater and more abundant than anything that you would give up. I just love that line. The Chosen, this series, captures the truth of what stirred in the hearts of the disciples, so much so that they were willing to make huge sacrifices, though they didn't understand it all. In fact, sometimes following Jesus left them being bewildered. So much they didn't understand, but what they knew was that he stirred them in such a way that it was a way only God could do it. Following Jesus can be bewildering. The cost seems to be high. But what you gain is always, always worth it. Let's talk about a few things about Jesus and following him. Sometimes following Jesus can be a bewildering experience. What are some of the things that make us bewildered by Jesus? Well, part of it is his timing, the timing of what he does. Such as in Luke 7, Jesus comes upon the funeral of an only son of a widow. And it says, in compassion, he raised him from the dead. And yet, when word comes to him from two sisters who are very close to him, of their brother, his friend, who is dying, he delays for days. And they know that if Jesus came right away, he might have been there in time to be able to save and heal Lazarus. Now, we always, in that story, want to jump to the very end, to the miracle. But in the in-between time, there's this bewilderment. Why did Jesus wait for his good friend? Some things that bewilder us and the disciples are some of the words of Jesus. Jesus would speak, the disciples would nod in agreement, but in private, they would open up that they really didn't understand what was being said by Jesus. So much of his teaching. In fact, there's one instance where Jesus is calling the Pharisees out. And you know what the disciples do? 
they hold an intervention for Jesus. Now, Jesus, we don't want to get the Pharisees on the wrong side. And maybe they had a PR plan for how Jesus could be better at wooing people for his cause. His words bewildered them. He was also bewildered. They were bewildered by his ways. What he did, whom he called, how he spent his time. He went out of his way to meet a shunned woman at the well, and yet he stayed silent before the most powerful man in the land. He spoke tenderly to an adulteress, and he humbled self-righteous religious leaders. He protected those who rejected him, but he rebuked those who were closest to him. And even though Jesus, with his timing and with his words and with his ways, bewildered the disciples, there was still something about him that stirred in them, so much that they were willing to sacrifice and leave and follow him. So is there something with you that gives you a familiar feeling of a bit of bewilderment about how Jesus is working in your life? And it has caused you to even to challenge the very character of Jesus and who he is. Maybe you, in prayer, had been given more hope, only as you turned the corner you found the next street just as empty as the street that you were on. If you have ever been bewildered or frustrated by the timing or the words or the ways of Jesus, you have a great opportunity to grow in faith and commitment. For while it is easy to praise Jesus in the good times, faith is forged strong when we are given challenging times and we are willing and able to praise him in the midst of these challenging times. That's when our faith grows the most. Did you listen to Monday's Lectio? We've been talking about Lectio 365. Did you listen to Monday's Lectio? It was after the resurrection, Jesus was gathered with his disciples, and his disciples still asked him, when the burden of Roman occupation and taxation would be lifted, when was Jesus going to set Israel politically free? And Jesus spoke again to their bewilderment, to say that the kingdom of God is far greater than that. God's kingdom would encompass all nations and all groups of people, and it was not about political freedom for a tiny corner of the world. He shared with them that God's vision is greater, that God's plan is larger, and God's knowledge is higher than anything that we can even start to grasp. 
and God's vision for what he wants to do in the world comes when we keep on looking at the cross. We keep on seeing the cross. The cross is God's way to him through the tremendous sacrifice of Jesus, who paid a huge cost. And as he said, it was worth it. A cost of suffering his whole life. And yet that suffering became more intense as he got nearer to the cross. And then on the cross, suffering hell for us so that we might receive God's grace. When we get a clear view of the cross, it should stir our hearts to want to follow. So we hope that this discipleship journey from January through September has been a growing experience for you. When we had a bonfire a few weeks ago on a Saturday night, and you shared about the difference that it made, uh, that seems to have been the case. Uh, We often don't like change because we like to be comfortable. I like to be comfortable. When I fly, I'm willing to pay the extra amount of money to get that extra two inches of leg room. And as my nephew would say, Uncle Paul, you like your comfort. Yes, I do. I like to be comfortable just like you. Routines are good. Routines are healthy, or at least they can be healthy. Think about your morning routine, what you do in the morning. I'm thinking about my morning routine. I have a certain routine. I'm not going to talk about it, but it's a routine that helps me be focused on the important things that are going to be going on for the day and how I am to walk through them. Routines can be good. And still, routines can be a way in which we want to be sure that we exert our control in our lives to make us feel like we are in charge of what's going on. And if that's the case, then it causes us to examine our routines to see if they are what God wants them to be. Jesus asks us to change, not for change's sake, but for growth's sake. And when we are willing to relinquish our longing for control, to work on trust and faith, barriers that have kept us from intimacy with God start coming down. This week I came across a site called the Center for Bible Engagement. I've never heard of this site before. The Center for Bible Engagement. On there they showed one of the studies that they did. It was a study that they did to try to gather some raw data. You know, it's when you go and you don't have any conceived ideas of what the end result's going to be. You just want to get the data. Well, what they examined was, is there a difference between Christians who open their Bible four or more days a week from Christians who open their Bible less than that? Okay, so that was their question. Is there a difference in the lives of Christians who open their Bible four or more days a week from those who don't? 
and they found from the data such Christians are happier, they are more joyful, they find more fulfillment in their work, they have better relationships, oftentimes that spills into their family and their family have better relationships. Not all the time, but oftentimes that's what the data showed. And it just makes people wonder, why would we not be willing to do something so simple to allow God engagement and interaction with our lives? Could it be because we do want that control? Jesus has some encounters with people there in Luke 9, and it has to do not just with their desire to follow him, but it has to do also with their willingness to be in control and Jesus' bewildering response to them. Uh, the first person said, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Uh, the setting for this is that uh, Luke 9, verse 57, comes right on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men and their wives and their children, and right on the heels of uh, Jesus healing a demon-possessed child. So people can see that Jesus brings health and wealth, they determine. And Jesus replied, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There is no physical guarantee or security that comes from following are you willing to pay that cost? That's the question Jesus gives back. There is a second person who says, I will follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. Seems like a reasonable request. What the commentators say about this is that what this person was saying was, let me go home and wait until my father dies. Now, that was a very honorable thing to do in Middle Eastern culture, and it still is. It's a way to show honor for mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, to be there to take care of them until they die. So it's an honorable cultural thing an important way in that culture of how to show caring and honor to parents. But Jesus says, let go of that and trust him completely. The way of the kingdom of God is greater than the way of culture. And then there's a third person who says, I will follow you, but allow me first to go home and say goodbye to my family. Seems like another reasonable request. And Jesus says, no one putting the hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Culturally speaking, was, he was saying, and the commentators say, based on Jesus' response back to him, is that this person wanted to go home and likely to discuss this option with his family to see if it sounded reasonable. Because what Jesus says to him is, you have a divided heart. You are worried about what other people think of you. 
and you are concerned about focusing on them and that and not totally focused on me. If you're going to follow him, you stay focused on him. And he uses an example, a modern day example would be for those of us who mow our yard, uh, I think about pushing a mower, but maybe it applies to riding mower. What would your yard look like? Tall grass. If you went out to mow your yard and you're constantly looking around and waving to all the neighbors and you're looking at the cars that are going by to see what's happening and you're pushing your mower and you're looking all around at everyone else, what would your yard look like? No one who doesn't keep their eye focused on the end, on Jesus will find their way. A disciple is not to place commitment in the comfort and the control that we want to gain, but wanting to follow him. And so these past nine months, we've been introducing a few things that we have hoped been stirring your heart, stirring faith making reference to a painting, making books available. Uh, We have broken up in our worship time into groups on a fairly regular basis. That was something that was geared for, for 2003. Uh, Listening to podcasts, watching a video together and then discussing it. Uh, And we hope that some of these things would have stirred your heart. So now we are approaching 2004. And we are wondering, what does that look like? What would be helpful for you? Not just what would be helpful in your own personal journey, but what practices can be helpful for you and moving forward. We want to hear for you. Was it something that we were doing from January to September? Or is it something new altogether? What could that look like? It will cost some time, some energy, and some focus but it will be worth the cost of following him. Finding ways in which he will stir our hearts continually. So this is what uh, I'm asking you to do. For those who have been longtime attenders at Discovery and also for guests who are here, we just want to ask you, what could be something that we could do on Sundays, and also throughout the week that would be helpful for you to help stir your heart more in faith, to grow, to have a deeper understanding of Jesus and what it means to follow him. So we want to take about 12 minutes or so to ask you that question and to hear your answers.